as usual, if we could just kind of go around the whole table and everywhere real quickly helps uh, with the minutes. I'm Susan Mim, City Council. Wendy Ford, City Staff. Simon Andrew, Assistant to the City Manager. Jeff Froon, City Manager. I'm Jim Throgmorton, Mayor of Iowa City. Rockney Cole, City Council. Adam Knight, Artistic Director at Riverside Theater. Amanda Lenzing, Development Director at Riverside Theater. Andre Perry of the Angler Theater. Eric Kutley, Neighborhood Services. Tracy Heishu, Neighborhood Development Services. Owner Dome City Attorney. Thank you all very much. I think pretty much we all know each other, but it makes it a little easier for Wendy as she's trying to do the minutes. Um, item number two, consider approval of the minutes from the October 29th, 2018 Economic Development Committee meeting. I moved. Second. Any discussion, corrections? All those in favor say aye. 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 Passes 3-0, thank you. Item number three, update from Englert Theater and Mission Creek Executive Director Andre Perry and recommendation for support of continued funding. Come on up. Come on up. I thought maybe I'd introduce a little bit. Sure. Um, welcome to the table, Andre. Um, you have my memo in your packet, and I guess I'd just like to say that um, rather than this being a formal r request, really, for dollars for a future budget, this is a confirmation of the uh, budgeted amount that you've been on the budget for which you've been working right now in FY20. Um, and from uh, and and for an update on the activities of both the Englert uh, Mission Creek and uh, Riverside Theater, um, as required by um, their original funding, they weren't necessarily agreements, but uh, sort of an unstated agreement that they would come and fill us in on on uh, their annual activities each year. So that's my preface to this. Welcome, Andre. Hey, it's good to see you guys. Thank you for making time to, to have us here. Um, so when he did send out the, the packet, and we'd actually put this packet together, I think, in the late fall, and so we didn't have some of the numbers, but we did roll up some new numbers um, that just actually basically just have our year in for 2018. Okay. So I was just passing that around as just information for council and staff, just so you guys could review that. Um, as always, just let me know if you have any questions. Um, but I'll just do the top line here, which is basically, we ended 2018 on budget, which is great. Um, it was, uh, you know, a, real, a positive year on a lot of fronts, just continuing to engage all the community programs that we have um, and started to kind of like spread our wings a little bit. We've been, you know, we've talked about in this meeting several times how, how we bring our programming uh, vision to other spaces or other, you know, programs around the community. Uh, did our second year of programming the block party in the main stage there. Uh, had a nice collaboration with the whole committee that put on RAGBRAI. And so looking to summer 2019, we're looking at some other opportunities opportunities to continue that kind of work so that we can bring other events to the area. Um, as we looked at 2019, uh, it's on the second page of what, what I just handed out to you guys, which is new information, which is different from what, what, I, what I sent. Our projected budget, you know, we were looking at a, a $13,000 um, net positive for 2019 when I first circula circulated that in fall. Uh, since then, we revised down. We're now projecting a small loss for next year, uh, about $22,000, and I just wanted to be clear on just where that's coming from. Uh, one of the challenges we face is that uh, we used to rent out the space in our third floor and that revenue, all those leasers are, are gone and so we're just going to be adjusting to that over the next few years and as we have a little bit of staff expansion, we're just starting to move into that space a little bit more and so that's just a transition that, that we're figuring out um, in terms of like the rental, rental work that we're doing. And then second, uh, we're making a couple of really small staff investments, part-time folks, uh, uh, we're actually growing our, our programming department, uh, which is, 
has been me for seven or eight years, <laughs> and we're bringing on an assistant, and we're working with a student from the University of Iowa who's finishing up their degree, working with them. But the reason that we're doing that is, one, to ensure that we have um, deeper and wider like programming voices just in our community for you know just presenting work that happens in our culture. Um, but also, uh, to all, we're starting to think about how we might grow our development effort at the Englert. Uh, and you'll see me uh, working a little bit closer with Katie and Connor, who's on our team, uh, to really just grow that effort. And it's something that um, it's just going to take us you know, a couple years to build up. And so we don't really see those returns coming back in this initial year. But if you look at what I showed you, we also have the 2020 projection there. We see it start to hang back and returning us to the net positive in 2020. And you know, we'll probably ride our line a little bit in terms of our line of credit and then but be able to flush it out in the, in the next fiscal year. So just want to give you guys an, just an update on that. And if you have any questions about it, please let me know. Um, I'm just going to say a few more things just so you have just some background on things that we're working on. Uh, one of the things that's so important to us is just continually to like look at our community engagement effort and how are we increasing access, how are we making sure that there's a lot of representation in the programs that we're putting on our stage or elsewhere through our festivals. And um, we started to do a little bit of like just self-analysis on how our community engagement is going. And this is something I could send out. I think I only have one copy here. But you know, we just kind of did like a in a report where we talk about our successes, how we've connected with students, how we've connected with underrepresented populations, talked about our, our successes, but also talked about like our challenges and some of the things that really really need to work on. And one of the things, we'll just pass it around, but one of the things that uh, we're really going to focus on is we feel like we're doing a decent job in terms of our programming and representation, uh, but we would love to see for a lot of those part-time positions that work box office or front of house or concessions, really making sure that we have a more diverse core um, for the folks who really just engage like customers or patrons who are coming through the doors. And so that's an effort that we'll be working with our operations director and our events director to make sure that as we go through the hiring process, just continuing to auto it over the course of the year and into next year um, to make sure that we can just make sure we have a really nice welcoming environment for people who walk through the doors of the theater. Andre, um, on that point, do, do you reach out to West High and City High to try to draw in some junior level or senior level students who are of the categories you just described? As of right now, no. Most of the people who are who are younger who work in those positions are typically students at Kirkwood or Iowa, and so that's about as young young, young as we've gone. Um, I will certainly bring that up with Sarah and just see if there's any history there. If that's like something that's been worked on, even just dedicating one or two positions where you can get in someone. Maybe it's just for the summer or for a down period where a student might have more time. So I'll bring that to Sarah. Thank you. Um, another parallel to that is, uh, as you guys know, England and Film Scene are working on uh, this capital campaign effort, and obviously there's a lot of capital involved with that, but some of it is programmatic, and one of the things that is just a top priority in that campaign is how can we just collaboratively and collectively improve our community engagement uh, in this area. And one of the projects we've worked on um, is that we want to hire this um, shared human resource, human resource, which would be a community engagement director. And that individual would basically be our bridge and in constant conversation with uh, the school district and independent schools in the Iowa City area to kind of find out what student needs are uh, in contact with neighborhood centers and organizations, particularly those representing underrepresented 
represented cultures, um, as well as with the University of Iowa and various departments, um, but but also people like you know VP of Student Life, Chief Diversity Office, and as much as you know the President's Office uh, will let us in there just to have a conversation. Basically, you guys know that this work is in our blood. It's it's what I care about this. Katie cares about this. Joe, Andrea, all the people on these teams. Um, but we do have a limit <laughs> to what we're able to perform and do. And we've just recognized that this is a position that we need to have. Um, and it makes sense from a financial standpoint if it's something that we're able to do together rather than the organizations, you know, doing it on doing it on their own. So we're continuing to push that forward and having some really positive conversations with people who might get that uh, initiative off the ground, at least for the first couple years, so we can kind of find our feet, learn what we're doing well, and kind of improve what we're not doing well. Uh, just wanted to give you that update. And um, I think, almost done, sorry. Uh, the, as we work through the campaign, something else that we've begun to work on with our accountant bill and uh, some other financial um, background folks on our board is while the campaign's happening, while we're working with the present um, operation, we're also starting to think about what is the plan for like five, 10-year sustainability down the line, and so that we can get a plan together so that we're just thinking ahead while in this current moment. And I suspect, you know, you guys have been such a wonderful partner, both staff and council for so long, that maybe by this fall, um, we might have some ideas, and we'll probably circle back for more informal conversations just to get your guys, you know, input as advisors, as you've, you know, really been crucial in growing and, and making sure that this organization sustains, so that's just a heads up. And the final thing is just reminding you that we are working on that campaign project, uh, which is a big opportunity, we think, for Iowa City to evolve. Um, and so we'll continue to do that, and uh, I will hopefully not have my staff be so angry at me for <laughs> asking for so much on a daily basis. Uh, those, are, those are the big updates, but uh, as always, happy to answer questions and take notes back to staff as we think this stuff over. Well, as always, I think the work that you, you folks are doing is just, I think, improving all the time, which is is nice to see. The, now that you've had your feet under yourselves for more years, it gives you that opportunity to kind of expand that vision in terms of, you know, the inclusion of the within the community and, you know, new positions that can help you grow and do more things connecting with the schools and stuff. So I'm just thrilled that as a city that we're able to give the support that we have. I'm glad we can with the campaign that Jeff or whoever came up with the, you know, downtown TIF idea to, to help finance that. And, um, just keep doing bigger, bigger and better things. So happy to have you. Happy to have you there. Yeah, I agree with Susan. But, so, uh, but I won't repeat what Susan mm -hmm. said. Uh, I want to try to look ahead a little bit, and I want to spin off um, what I observed at the Historic Preservation Commission's awards event last night. Uh, I love historic preservation. I think it's really crucial for Iowa City. Uh, but somehow, to a great extent, they've lost track of history, meaning the unfolding of history over time. So when I was observing that, I was thinking, okay, we need to do more in those awards to actually celebrate what's historical rather than architectural features on specific buildings that are being renovated or whatever. I admire those awards, but we need to do more. And I'll get to, get to the angler here in a second. Another thing I thought about was we need to find ways to make the invisible visible. And this is where I think there is a strong connection with Englert and a strong connection with Riverside, too, for that matter, and film scene. But what do I mean? I mean, prior to 1839, you know, prior to the founding, if you will, of Iowa City, there were people living here. They happened to be Sack and Fox 
tribes, and before them the Iowa. That history is invisible. We need to find ways to make that part of our past visible to the rest of us who live here now. And then looking forward in, in a way that resonates with something you've already said, Andre, we have a large number of people who are not traditional Iowans who now live here. Congolese, Sudanese, Hispanic, African-American, Chinese, and, and so on. We need to open up the sense of who we are looking into the future, who we are, and hence who the we is that's shaping our future. We, we need to find a way to do that. And I think the Englert and the other entities I just mentioned could play a major role in that by helping all of us to understand where we are historically, how we got here and where we're headed, and who we are. So there's, a, I, th I think, a pretty great challenge for Englert and others to think about. Heard. What I love about funding requests from the Englert and also as well from Riverside is that we know when we put dollars into Englert, we're going to get a multiple significantly exceeding that. And I think that makes it so easy to make that investment. Um, with Mission Creek, same thing. And I think you guys have done a terrific job in terms of quantifying um, and also actually achieving what you say you're going to do. You know, it is easy for us as, as politicians to articulate a vision, but the fact that you guys have been able to implement that vision, and I think the people that preceded you that even could save England in the first instance, how successful that's been. Following up on Jim's uh, point about historic preservation, I wanted to bring that up too. What you've done with historic tax credits, I think has been fabulous in terms of the um, Evolve program. That was a big component of your funding, is my understanding. And I'm hopeful moving forward, we have a lot of tough decisions downtown, uh, but I think we all agree that if there are voluntary decisions that landowners can make, that, that is the best way to achieve what we want to try to achieve. And I'm hopeful that you can sort of use that as sort of a catalyst for that downtown conversation as opposed to sort of more non-consensual uh, zoning type outcomes. So I hope you'd be critical as far as that. The final thing in terms of the social justice piece of it, I'm glad that you recognize that because it's one thing to identify a need to outreach to new communities, but to actually have a dedicated person that that is their function. Because um, I know you all have, and you've done a great job, by the way, so we don't mean to criticize anything in the past, but the fact that you've recognized need for a, a dedicated person, I think that's fabulous. The final thing relates to the free events that both you and Riverside have done. You know, again, it's easy for us to say that something should be free, but I think you've done a great job of having some of those fee events as part of your programming, but at the same time recognizing that you got to charge as well and doing the fundraising to make that happen. And I like your price point, too, in terms of when you do charge. It's it's a nice sort of, it's sort of below Hancher in terms of what their, their rates are. And so you've done a great job of being part of the mix of the downtown, and it's really exciting to see you also recognize the need to sort of get out in other parts of the community as well. So total pleasure to be able to support this. But I think you knew we'd probably support it anyway. But thanks for coming in. Thanks, Rock. <clears throat> Any other questions, comments? Uh, do we have a motion to make the rec We need to do that, don't we, for recommendation to city council or not? Well, you'll or be doing that with your budget because it's already included in the budget you've been working okay. on. But I suppose it wouldn't hurt to formalize that, okay. your support here in this meeting. Specifically yeah. the intent for fiscal years 21 and 22. Okay. Yeah. So can we get a recommendation uh, include the support for 20, which is already in our budget, but our intent to support in 21 I'll move and 22? such a recommendation. Pardon? I'll move such okay. a recommendation. Okay. Yeah. Second. Okay. Any further discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Passes 3-0.
Thank you, Andre, as always. Great. Appreciate your time and Appreciate all your work. Do you want these one copies that you had back before? So you don't I have lose. to have them back. <laughs> I encourage, okay. I encourage okay. someone to read them. Yeah, yeah we will. <laughs> yeah, we sure. will. Okay. And I owe you an email about next steps on the other thing. Okay. Uh, next on the agenda is an update from Riverside Theater staff, Adam Knight, Artistic Director, and Amanda Lensing. Come on forward. Development Director and recommendation for support of continued funding. Welcome. Hi, thanks for having us. Sure, hi. Um, as some of you know, I'm very new to the community. I moved here at the end of September, and I'm really excited to be here with you and excited to be a part of Riverside. Um, some of the things that Andre touched on are things that are um, challenging our industry and our um, company as well. We're always seeking to increase representation and diversity on our stage and in our programming. Um, I inherited some of this season, and I'm going to be involved in planning the next season. Um, we're a board member of the National New Play Network. I just came, went to um, the board meeting in Sacramento in December, and while I was there, we passed um, very sweeping changes to how that organization is structured, and we all made commitments um, that will be defined next year as to what we're going to do to increase uh, the number of um, non-white uh, uh, um, plays and playwrights that we support. Um, in terms of uh, what we've been doing in our company, one of the things I'm really proud of, and I don't quite know how to advertise this, but um, we have more women on stage this year than men. And if you know anything about theater, an awful lot of plays don't have a lot of female characters. Mm -hmm. And we've been really uh, pushing to increase um, uh, female writers and, um, and female-centered stories on our stages. One of the plays that we're doing this summer um, came about because we have so many great female actors in our community, and we're doing a play called Men on Boats, which is about um, a lot of the things that um, the mayor touched on. Um, it's about exploration and um, this kind of manifest destiny and pushing into these new territories, this kind of American spirit of exploration and the kind of collateral damage of that and the hubris involved. And of course, the play is about these 10 cisgendered white men explorers, but it's played by people who are not that. So a cast of 10 women and or uh, 10 people um, who are not cisgendered uh, white men. And um, the... Uh, and in addition to that, we're partnering with Pyramid Theater Company in Des Moines, which is um, a fantastic uh, African-American ensemble that's uh, been around for a few years. And they're co-producing with us August Wilson's How I Learned What I Learned. Mm -hmm. That's our show that's opening in February. It's the first time we've done August Wilson on our stage. And I thought it was a great opportunity for us rather than um, kind of outsourcing to Chicago or New York or um, directors and actors to really build a bridge with a, with a vibrant company in Iowa um, who, who's interested in expanding their reach and we're interested in welcoming a whole new group of artists into our community and that's something that, a partnership that we're very excited about. Um, in addition to that, um, uh, we are doing Free Shakespeare again, which we're very excited. We're doing Henry IV Part One. Um, and uh, in general, we're always looking for ways to re rethink the idea in terms of casting and the kind of stories we tell. Um, our Prince Hal is going to be a woman. We're very excited about that. And, um, and also just thinking um, more in terms of, 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 in terms of expanding the artists that we utilize in the community and really energizing that, that group. And I think Amanda can speak more about Free Shakespeare since I haven't been here for it. <laughs> I came on board right before we started Free Shakespeare. I think a month, but I had a month before. Um, but it was a huge success. Um, 
we had two food trucks this year. We hope to do much more, and I've already had interest in that. And sponsors, um, we have Midwest One on board for free Shakespeare, and we also have Willpower, which is where we take Shakespeare and do. Last year it was 13 schools. Um, this year hopefully we'll get at least up to 15, if not more, schools in the area where Adam and actors go out to the schools and um, teach Shakespeare and then present. But that's kind of our lead-in in the community. And then for Free Shakespeare this year, I just hope for more as far as audience. We had the Bell and Blank Center bring a lot of kids last year, and I'm working hopefully with the neighborhood um, centers and different local nonprofits to encourage them to also Great. come to Free Shakespeare this year. And just more engagement with who comes to the theater, um, not only in Free Shakespeare with all our shows, but Free Shakespeare was such a success. We had standing room the last two nights. Um, we only had to cancel one show to rain on the Thursday night and the city's help with traffic and everything with the bridge being closed and other events going on during that two-week period. Uh, we just hope to continue this year with all of that. So, Well, again, you provide another great artistic venue in the community and uh, it's just great to have all these different <coughs> opportunities for people with different kinds of shows and and the, the transition that you've been able to make to the free Shakespeare and you know the number of years that we had didn't have really good weather so maybe before yeah. that you got here Amanda but uh, you know having to try and figure that out in a way that was uh, financially feasible you know for the theater um, but still providing some of those offerings um, for the community and and certainly the city has um, I think made an effort to help but obviously the bridge was was an issue um, we've gotten past that we've got neat lights on it now we're gonna, <laughs> not going to have any skateboarders on it hopefully anymore <laughs> and all those all those good things. So, um, no, I just, I appreciate having you here. And, you know, as I look through all the list of opportunities in Iowa City and the area, sometimes I'm like, boy, I got to get out more. I, <laughs> you know, I go to work, I come to council and it's like, man, I missed that show or that was a great. So it's kind of one of my 2019, uh, I don't like to, to do uh, resolutions or whatever, but uh, one of my efforts to really get out more to enjoy the, the shows at the Engler and, and everything. So, and also at, at Riverside. So, glad to have you here. Comments, questions from other council? The only thing I would just sort of wonder is you had a lot of sort of um, thoughts about how the free, free Shakespeare would work. Um, I'm wondering how many of those assumptions turn to be tr true in terms of how it sort of catalyzed fundraising and stuff like that. Maybe if you could just provide a little bit of a broad yeah. overview in terms of how challenging was that? I mean, it was challenging last year because I had just started, and I, it, so I would say that was the biggest challenge. But after completing it, um, we've had interest ever since as far as sponsorships and people wanting to know if we're doing it again. Um, so I really think the challenge just is to make sure everyone knows about it and get the businesses on board for sponsorships because I think in this community, as we see with other events um, provided for free, people like free events, but we need everyone to know about those events and know how they can be a part of it, whether it is business sponsorship or inviting local nonprofits. So um, I really think that's the challenge in it. It was, it was the spot. I wish I had more time to find more sponsors last year, but now that's why I'm starting now and getting everyone on board so we can have more of a buildup. So. Great. 
one of the things, one of the assumptions was that it would uh, turn around what had been a, a, a series of declining uh, attendance. Yeah. And that certainly met and exceeded yeah, our expectations. That's terrific. The last, okay. the last two shows were sold out. Um, we think that this year we're going to do better in terms of messaging and yeah. making sure that the word is out now that it's going to be a continuing thing mm -hmm. and not a one-off thing. Um, and, and as Amanda said, there's every time I mention it uh, in a curtain speech or something, there's always a few like who's <laughs> and everything, and that's very exciting to be a part of. And we just want to continue to capture that energy and make sure that we're um, channeling it in the right that's way true. to to kind of energize the community and, and expand our community. Yeah. You know, one of my great regrets is I never took a Shakespeare class in undergraduate. Um, but it's amazing the ones that I've gone to how relevant those topics are in terms of gender, race, class uh, that he was able to cover and just the continuing relevance of that. So really excited to see what you guys have in store. Great. I remember reading Henry IV, part one, or whatever, mm -hmm. and I couldn't make heads or tails out of it. <laughs> well, I need my wife to translate for me sometimes. <laughs> I can That's why so we have great show yeah. So much depends on the performance, right? Yes, it does. And then you can go, oh, oh, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, keep up the good work. Yep. Thank you. Thank you. Well, welcome to Yeah. Yep. Mm -hmm. Can we have, oh, go ahead. We have a few minutes to spare sure. oh, here, yeah. I guess. Oh, yeah. um, you've only been here for three months. Yes. Uh, I gather you've enjoyed your first three months here. You're really happy to be here, and we're happy to have you here as well. And it's too early f for you to kind of say, this is what I want to do. This is you know, some change I want to instill or something I want to amplify or whatever at Riverside Theater. But I wonder if you have thoughts, you know, that are bubbling around about what could possibly. And we emerge. we take our role as as the only um, serious-minded professional theater in the corridor uh, very seriously. Um, there's a lot of great talent here. Um, a lot of what I'm trying to do um, initially is to. Um, is to, to continue to make sure that Riverside is um, part of the national conversation and maybe even the international conversation in terms of what the field um, of theater is trying to do, which is expand the types of stories that we tell. Um, I think that um, I think that Iowa is um, Iowa City and Iowa in general is an interesting place, not only um, politically but also um, rethinking its identity and trying to um, trying to expand those kind of invisible stories um, that are that are here and maybe just haven't been tapped. Um, we haven't, uh, you know, one of the things I'm kind of thinking about is, is you know, Iowa bold <laughs> and what that might mean and, and just making sure that, that we are, um, you know, uh, an intense and intimate experience and a thought-provoking experience, but also unabashedly local in terms of our, and, and whatever that means, and not just in the same way that like a craft brewery or, or, or a great wine is, it's this thing that you can only get here and it's really special and has a limited shelf life and trying to lean into that and make sure that Riverside is, um, is creating art that feels really present and really, and really speaks to and challenges our audience and our artists here. Nice. Yeah, that, that sounds great. You were stimulating me to look for something. I, I have on my screen here um, uh, an article that appeared in the Annals of Iowa, I think it's called, that's about Hispanic presence in Iowa City mm -hmm. back many, many decades ago, like over 100 years ago. Uh -huh. 
uh, a fellow who I think is in either it was in English or history, I'm not sure which, wrote this piece. And I was just trying to find it so I could be more specific. Uh, but there's a history here of Hispanic presence in Iowa City. There's a history of African-American presence in Iowa City and so on that dates back a very long time. But most of us don't have any knowledge about that about that presence. And a lot of people in Iowa City think, okay, these are just newcomers, <laughs> new people are coming here. Huh. But in, in many ways, they've already been here for a long time. So it would really be fun and enlightening to somehow open that up and reveal that. Okay. Well, welcome to Iowa City. Thanks. Hope you hope you enjoy it and looking for more and new good things out of the theater. So right. a fresh set hope of eyes is always there. nice. Yeah. 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 Great. Can we get a motion uh, for the recommendation of the continued support, including 2020? So moved. Second. All those in favor say aye. 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 Okay, we'll get that thank you. in our minutes and have that there officially. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Great seeing you. Great to see you. Look forward to seeing you at Riverside. Great. Moving on to number five, staff report, uh, CDBG business assistance report memo. Who's going to start we here? We have Erica Kubli here for that. Hi, Erica. Hey. How are you today? Erica Kubli with Neighborhood Services. Um, I'm just going to go over our CDBG economic development opportunities and our current projects that we're funding. Um, the city has $50,000 set aside from our annual CDBG entitlement uh, for economic development. In order to qualify, the applicant's household must be at or below 80% of the area median income, the business must be located in Iowa City, and the project must meet one of three national objectives. Um, the first is job, job creation for jobs held by low-income persons. The second is microenterprise development. Um, a microenterprise is defined as an enterprise that has five or fewer employees, one or more of whom owns the enterprise. And then the third national objective is technical assistance to a microenterprise. We funded three projects with our CDBG assistance this fiscal year. The first is 4Cs, Child Care Technical Assistance. 4Cs uh, is a nonprofit service provider who will use funds to provide technical assistance to low-income residents who are developing a licensed in-home child care. Uh, we awarded them a $25,000 grant. Uh, their purpose is twofold. They'll create jobs and income opportunities for low-income residents, and then they'll also provide additional affordable child care opportunities for low-income families. Um, so what they do is they provide education, consultation, and coaching for in-home child care providers, and they help them meet the DHS requirement, which helps them get paid. Um, Susan Gray, who's the director, provided an update to HCDC last night. Um, they have 21 providers on their program. 12 are um, immigrants, so they are not uh, native English speakers. They partner with neighborhood centers for translation, and the other nine are minorities. Um, funds are typically used for staff salary, and we funded this project last year as well. Uh, the other two are um, CDBG microenterprise loans. The first is Cell Tech and Repair, owned by Elkair Amza. We provided him a $10,000 loan at 0% interest to be repaid over seven years. He opened his um, store last fall at 329 East College Street, and he provides cell phone repair and maintenance services and also sells phones and accessories. Um, he's using his funds for startup costs, uh, marketing, and store fixtures like display cases and things like that. Uh, the second um, 
loan is to Iconics, owned by Lemaitre Hall. She was provided with a $5,000 loan at 0% interest to be repaid over five years. Um, she opened her business in 2018 at 1571st Avenue. It's a full-service salon and spa that retails African-American hair and skin products that are hard to find in this area, and so she's using her funds for startup and supplies. Um, both recipients used services from the Small Business Development Center. That was um, a condition of their agreement. Um, right now we have, we still have about $85,000 available in our economic development um, fund for CDBG. We did have our project dropout last year and we still have some FY18 funds to use. Um, right now we've been working with the Small Business Development Center and the UI Venture School to see if we can come up with some sort of technical assistance program where people would complete a training and after that receive assistance. Um, we get a lot of applicants who are maybe just not prepared to own a business, so we're trying to figure out ways we can use our funding to prepare them and get them assistance. Do we have a deadline on use of that money from 2018 before we would it would revert back to the feds or anything? Um, no. Do you know? <laughs> with CDBG funds, it's more about your line of credit. You can't have more than one and a half times your CDBG line of credit. Okay. So we can continue on, but yes, we start getting worried if we're not spending it. So okay. we're hoping that this partnership with um, the Small Business Development Center mm -hmm. and Venture School leads to a program where small business people who are interested in small business who are low income can take like a four week, three week class. Then we might provide a grant for those legal accounting, those technical assistance items. So we're waiting to see. We met with them before Christmas and they were hoping to get a proposal to okay. us. Um, we're just finding we get so many people that come off the street, they want to start a business, they've not thought it through. They, right. You know, and you're investing in, in a business that's not, you know, we see a lot of either foreclosures or just defaults or to have a technical assistance provider that we can say, have you thought about these? Can you go through these? Right. It would be really beneficial to us. We just need to find that provider. Okay. So we're hoping to use our money that way. Okay. So we would pay them to help these individuals kind of get up to speed or yeah. to, to offer to pay them to offer a course that these people could go through? They have a okay. course now, but it's... it's much longer and it's really hard for a person who, who's low income who might be working a full-time job sure. or so this would be kind of like a modified shorter class okay. um, tailored to someone who who might not have the time or can't invest right because they have their commitment so basically a class tailored to low to moderate income entrepreneurs okay okay hopefully well good because like you say it's it's a lot of time for staff to spend with people coming in who don't have the knowledge or the background, haven't don't don't even know all the things they need to think through or all the questions they need to ask. Yeah. And so if we can get them into something like this, that would help. It's not only that we don't have the time, we try to be supportive, but mm -hmm. we've never started that level of small business. We don't sure. know the best legal structure for them to take. We can't tell them how to operate QuickBooks or their inventory or market. So having some provider with that expertise probably helps the client a lot better than us sure. telling them to go here and <laughs> Right, and, and hopefully, obviously, the whole idea of it is it increases the probability of their success, which, you know, is our goal in giving them money in the first place is to help them be successful, so. We do partner with the Small Business Development Center, so for the CDBG loans, when they come in before we approve, we make them go through an right. orientation session with the Small Business Development Center, and they've been great, they've been doing it, but some natures of small businesses were not a great fit. Okay. You know, some people want a home-based business, that's not something that... Mm -hmm. 
um, they're set up to provide. Some people are just providing a business for part-time, not part-time, just supplemental income. Sure. Um, they're not leasing commercial space. They're not buying a space. So it's not always the best marriage. Mm -hmm. We have a lot of people that still need additional assistance, and we need to find that provider for them. Okay, great. So I'm wondering about a potential connection. It may be too far afield, I'm not sure. Uh, but I was speaking with Jennifer Banta and Kim Casco from the Chamber, and earlier with Mark Nolte and others um, at, at an event over at ICAD. And part of what I know Jennifer is looking at very carefully is the Opportunity Zone situation on the southern part of the city. I don't know the exact boundaries of the Opportunity Zone, but I wonder if there are connections between this form of an investment into emerging small businesses and the opportunity zone itself and what is possible there and because of the I don't know because of the way that thing is structured Jeff do you have you had conversations or can you see any connections at all I think, I think there's a real opportunity to layer those financial in incentives on top of the Opportunity Zone. The, the tricky thing for us right now is um, we don't have a role in the Opportunity Zones. We, we designated those, or we not, I guess we nominated them to the governor's office, and, and we're fortunate enough to get a couple of uh, Opportunity Zones designated. But it's, it's a federal uh, tax um, provision, so they don't need approvals from us. There's no sign-offs that we need to provide. So we don't really know unless they come to us whether people are taking advantage of the opportunity code or opportunity zone benefits. What we hope will happen is people will be drawn to those areas. They'll come in the door and they'll have a conversation with us and then um, we, we may or may not need to be a, a piece of the puzzle in order to get that project going. But it's really hard to hard for us to know what the impact of the opportunity zones are because we don't, we're I not suppose, involved in it. I suppose they come to us if they needed rezoning, but if they don't Correct, need rezoning. Correct, or, or maybe they want extra financial incentives on top of that, and that's where we can layer on TIF or CDBG and other funds. Okay. Other questions, comments? Well, I have just a comment on the, the tax issue. I think that's huge because, you know, with a small business, there's two things. One, the business could fail. But the other thing is it could start making some money, and if they're not doing the withholding, they can get themselves in trouble very, very quickly, and that's mm -hmm. always a very hard piece of it. Um, and I, the other thing I was thinking about is that in terms of, you know, eventually sort of having different categories, it strikes me that there might be, like, for example, a lawnmower business that has an established track record but needs that funds to get a new lawnmower, sort of identify some of those that have some existing thing, but they just need to get that uh, little additional capital to get that capital uh, piece of equipment to sort of expand the business. But I think it's really exciting. And I'm excited to see what you guys have in store for that. Yeah, I mean, I think we've worked to do a really good job of, and we, I think most of ours have been successful. I mean, we've had some failures, but, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, well, and probably some of the smaller ones who didn't have as much background and knowledge. The nature of our funds, I mean, these are folks coming to us who can't get a bank loan or, you know, before 2003, we used to provide $60,000, $70,000 loans with no technical assistance, no other partners, and every single one of them either defaulted or the owners went into bankruptcy. So we modified the program. We went for CDBG that you had to at least establish a line of credit or some other type of partnering with a commercial lender is so beneficial to us because we don't underwrite commercial businesses every day, but commercial lenders do. So even if they can't get 
a $20,000 loan for them, if they can establish a $5,000 line of credit, because every business at some point probably needs a line of credit, um, that also gives us the expertise because we'll, they give us the permission to talk, contact the lender, like what collateral do we go after, um, what, do you, what technical assistance do you think you need, because you see this type of business every day where we don't. Um, that partnership's been invaluable. Um, and for those businesses that cannot absolutely get even a line of credit established, we need to consider, okay, is that amount of risk that we're willing to take all by ourselves and mm -hmm. what technical assistance? Maybe they need to go through more technical assistance and, and then they're, to get them in a better spot to succeed. Right. So we consider those things. And yep. Yeah, and even with those um, considerations, we've had some businesses default on us and not be able to pay us back. I mean, they're, they're by nature risky. I mean, we're right. Dealing. Yeah, if they weren't, they wouldn't be coming to us. They'd be going to the banks in the mm -hmm. first place. Yep. So they need need that yep. rather unusual, if you will, or yeah, they don't have that One background. One comment to the child care piece of it. Um, that's obviously a national, state, and local issue, and I, and I think this is something where that that good, effective nonprofit. So that's one of these areas that I really want to see expanded because I think that is probably the barrier yeah. uh, for a lot of people in mm -hmm. terms of opportunity. So that that piece of it, I'm really, really pleased, and I'm pleased it's in the form of a grant too. Mm -hmm. Um, for us, funding four C's in this way was a was a win-win. Mm -hmm. You know, we're working with primarily low-income women to create their own child-based businesses. I mean, they're for-profit businesses for them, either their source of income or a supplemental source of income. And then we're also providing a critical need of child care. So mm -hmm. to us, yeah. we were thrilled that they were coming in. Yep. Great. Okay. Let's see. Let me get back to the top here. What was the next? Um, any other staff report information? Just uh, something quick for me. Um, you probably saw that we rolled out the building change program uh, earlier or later last week. Maybe it was earlier this week. Um, and I encourage you all to talk it up if there are people out there talking about or asking about what it is. We haven't had a whole lot of people knocking on our doors yet. I'm hoping that um, I'm hoping that we do. Obviously, there will be a February 15th deadline for the the up to fifty thousand dollar grant for facade renovation. Um, there will be an, an ongoing uh, application period for the loans, which are a little bit smaller, and those are the ones that are funded by our uh, local lending institutions. And then as well, there are two programs that um, downtown businesses could uh, apply to uh, the Iowa City downtown district for as well. So we've got, talk about layering, several things that uh, people can go after to help improve their businesses there. Um, there will also be a, a workshop that we're hosting I want to say it's on January 30th that will um, that will be hosted by the downtown district, but will include um, a presentation about our programs, about their programs, and we'll also have uh, Marnie Teagle, who's um, one of our new code enforcement folks. I don't think that's her title anymore, but uh, who will be there to help talk about signage and the, um, the kinds of things that need to happen with um, sign signage design and, and permitting, that sort of thing. So looking forward to that and really want some applicants. Um, the only other thing I was going to mention is that, and we've mentioned this before, I think that we are working on putting together a, a draft proposal for urban renewal tax exemption area uh, for commercial zones, not only downtown, but in in a number of commercial areas around the community. We've uh, put together a framework for that. Staff-wise, we're going to be uh, working through that, and, and we hope to have uh, something to bring forward to council in the coming weeks. So uh, 
that's on a, I don't want to say a back burner, but it's a little bit out of reach yet, but it's coming. Okay. So we'll start that at this committee, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So okay. You'll be the first ones to vet that program. Okay, good. Just let me say that's terrific because that was one of my concerns with the downtown program is that we didn't reach those other areas. I know there's reasons to focus on the downtown, but I'm glad that we're looking at those other areas. Yeah, very important. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, another thing we're in the middle of is uh, evaluating proposals for um, that were in response to a request proposals for a a downtown retail recruiter mm -hmm. who would help us analyze all of our um, all of our uh, commercial districts and help us recruit appropriate mm -hmm. businesses into empty spots and and help us uh, figure out how we might be able to better market some of the um, some of the spaces that we do have that have been sitting empty or underutilized. Would that be a city or downtown district? It's city what? It's city. City employee? No, no, this would be a contract. Oh, is that part of the consultant? With an outside. Yeah, the consultant. Okay. I don't know what that yep. is. Yeah. But it would encompass the entire city, not just the downtown. Yep. So, okay. Anything else? For no. staff? <laughs> Anything from the committee? I, I want to mention one thing. I had earlier mentioned an article that appeared in Annals of Iowa. So the title is Creating a Barrio in Iowa City, 1916 to 1936. And it's been written by Nathaniel Otjen, that's O-T-J-E-N. It's a 2017 article. So it focuses on the area south of the railroad tracks where there was an Hispanic neighborhood. Interesting. Yeah, a barrio. Okay. Check it out. Thank you. Anything else, the committee? You've been doing a lot of reading lately, John. Uh, yeah. Bar Barbara does reading. She sends me stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Any other business? Nope. Do we have a motion to adjourn? So moved. Second. All those in favor say aye. 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 We are adjourned. 215. Thank you very much. Right.